Hey friends, Rich here from Unseminary. You know, late last year, I was talking to a, a church leader who's leading in a church where they're down to less than a dozen people attending. And, you know, one of the things that was super sad was they were reflecting on the fact that they have no next generation leaders at all, no kids, no young leaders. We don't want that to happen for your church. And although you're not maybe at that extreme end of the scale, you no doubt are having a problem developing Gen Z leaders. And that's why I want you to reach out to my friends at Leadership Pathway. Listen, there are there has got to be a better way to find, develop, and support next generation church leaders for your team. We've been talking about this for years. We've been talking about it since I graduated from college, and we still haven't fa- we still haven't figured that out. But our friends at Leadership Pathway have. You don't have enough time in day-to-day ministry to chase the leads, figure out the resume, onboard all those people. That's where my friends at Leadership Pathway come in. They want to build a robust residency program for you. They've interviewed, talked with literally thousands of Gen Z leaders, and they want, they've helped them take the next step in ministry, and they want to help you develop a pipeline to do the same thing. What I want you to do is to go over to leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary to learn more. They've got some special events coming up this spring. We're, we're really, they're packaging all this up into a couple day mastermind retreat kind of environments. You're going to want to learn more about that. And you're going to want to connect with them really to say, hey friends, I need you to help me find, develop, and release next-gen leaders through a residency program today. Leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary today. Thanks friends. Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Hey friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. I'm really excited for today's conversation. Uh, My friend and repeat guest, and you know when we have repeat guests, it's because I want you to get exposed to them again. Uh, we got Terry Smith with with us. He is the lead pastor at the Life Christian Church, TLCC, a non-denominational faith community with campuses in West Orange and online. Terry's been the lead pastor there for over 30 years. This is a fantastic church. If you don't know TLCC, you should be following on. They really have vibrant diversity. They have a robust leadership culture and people from 132 distinct communities in the New York City metro area. Uh, He's a co-founder of the New York City Leadership Center. He's really a gifted communicator, and he's just written a book that's come out uh, the called the Lord bless you that we're going to talk about here in a minute, friends, because we read something there that really kind of grabbed my attention that I want to point out to you. Uh, but Terry, welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Rich, I appreciate you having me back so much and congratulations on your success. I know your podcast is doing great and it's a privilege for me to be with you. Thanks. Oh, thanks so much. Honored that you're with us and and love love your church, love uh, what you do. Why don't you kind of fill in the picture there? Tell us about TLCC, your story, fill in what I missed there. So my wife, Sharon, and I were were raised in the Midwest, and uh, I felt a sense of calling to come to build a great church in a suburb of New York City when I was a teenager and had never even mm. been here. Mm-hmm. I ended up <laughs> uh, having an opportunity at age 29 to uh, assumed the pastorate of a very small congregation of about 50 people. 
And that was 31 years ago. And over the last 31 years, that small group of wonderful people has grown into a large group of wonderful people. And it's been a great ride. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting here right now in my office in our relatively new campus, about 12 miles from Times Square. So we're right here in the mix in the New York City metropolitan area. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and you know, friends, you know, if you followed my story a little bit, you knew, know I was in New Jersey for a while. And, uh, you know, Terry's doing an incredible job. It's great ministry, you know, great reputation on the ground, just a fantastic leader that you should be tracking with. And I, yeah, I've got a soft spot in my heart for uh, New York City Metro, but Jersey specifically, Dirty Jersey. Jesus loves Jersey. So, so honored to have you uh, here. Now, in your most recent book, The Lord Bless You, this is a great resource, friends, a 28-day journey to experience God's extravagant blessings. This is a, a great read, um, you know, a, a quick read, the kind of thing that would be super encouraging to folks that are uh, listening in, the kind of thing you could give as a gift, that kind of thing. There was a chapter in here that I want to, I'm wondering if you, if we could do something different. Now, I don't think we've ever done in our podcast, 800 episodes in. Uh, it's chapter 13. Uh, it's entitled Resistance Training. I wonder if, could you read us a little bit of this to kind of set up today's conversation? And then I want to drill deeper on where did this come from? What was this, you know, what kind of led you to, to put this in the book? So could you, would you be open to reading that for us? I'd love to. Um, so, you know, in the Lord bless you, I'm talking about how to experience God's blessing. And this is a chapter about how to experience God's blessings, even when you're facing tremendous challenges in your life. So here it is. It was a glorious summer day when I tromped through waist-high weeds in the middle of an abandoned eight-acre property on a four-lane avenue just 13 miles from Times Square. I told a dubious staff pastor who was with me that I believed God had called our congregation to acquire this property and build a worship and mission center. It was unkempt, overgrown, and forgotten land. I said, where we are walking right now is where I envision people will someday sit in a beautiful building and worship together. I know it seems way out of our reach, impossible even, but I believe this is what God is asking us to do. Let's stand here now and pray a prayer of faith together. It was a glorious winter day 10 years later when we worshiped in that worship and mission center for the first time. Between those two glorious days, however, I suffered through many and glorious ones. Ten long years of complicated multi-party negotiations, of zoning, planning, and township council meetings, of not-in-my-backyard neighbors, of unscrupulous opponents who spread terrible lies about me and our church in an attempt to stop the project altogether, of bond programs, capital campaigns, and loans, of blasting and removing $1 million of rock just to prepare the site, of construction setbacks, stoppages, and construction again, of building inspections and certificates of occupancy, and of, if you've seen my picture, a considerable loss of hair. <laughs> In short, between vision conception and vision realization, we faced a whole lot of resistance. To actualize any God-inspired calling, we must overcome conflict. In my experience, the bigger the God-given dream, the more conflict we must overcome to see the dream come true. Okay. I, I love this friends. Uh, you know, I just, thanks. Thanks for reading that. It's always great to hear uh, an author read their own words. Fantastic. Now I, this stood out to me and I'll, I'll tell you why this stood out to me. I have a, a good friend of mine, one of my, one of my best friends there. Um, you know, he's a few years younger than me. They're in the middle, they're a church planting and they're in the uh, pushing to get the first building open stage. They're in the 
you know, it's a year later than they were hoping, cost more money, took longer. Um, and, you know, recently we were having this conversation where we were, you know, reflecting on this. And I said, yeah, like, this is one of the problems. We we have to step ahead in faith. We have to go before uh, where we think God's leading us. And and we've got to, when we're going to face resistance. And so when I, when I saw that, I was like, mm, there's definitely a lot underneath that. Help us unpack that. Let's talk about the story behind the story. Obviously, you keep going and, and you know, it's a kind of a devotional thought that we go from here, but which is perfect. I want people to get the book, but, but pull this apart a little bit. You wrote, you read, I don't know, 400, 500 words. Tell us a little more of the story. Give us the resistance side of it. Kind of unpack that part of it. So when we had the opportunity to purchase this piece of property, actually, Rich, it's way, let me think about how I say this quickly. We had purchased an, an old monastery we wanted to turn into uh, our new worship center, but it was mm -hmm. in the middle of a neighborhood here in West Orange, which is a community of about 50,000 people, bedroom community for Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And um, we, I saw a new newspaper article that of a, a, a big developer was wanting to donate the front eight acres of a property he wanted to develop, one of the last pieces of land to be developed in this area. And when I saw that, I knew that that was the property that we needed. It was on a four lane road, a very mm -hmm. prominent road here yeah. in this area called Northfield Avenue. A lot, and um, I started at that moment. I first of all went to the township attorney and said, I've got an idea. I know you're going to think this is crazy. I want to swap <laughs> properties. Right. We'll give you the monastery. You make it a beautiful park. The neighbors don't want to develop. You give us the frontage on Northfield Avenue. He laughed at me. We were watching our sons play Little League Baseball. <laughs> um, and he, he has since become one of my very best friends, a uh, Jewish uh, attorney whose wife is a Superior Court judge. Mm -hmm. But he went and pitched it to the mayor. And for about uh, 18 months, there was radio silence. And one day I'm walking to the YMCA to play noontime basketball. I get a call on my cell phone. It's the township attorney. I have the mayor on the line. The mayor gets on the line. We want to do it. That hmm. launched. It was another wow. 18 months before we even had the contract signed. Very complicated. Three hmm. parties, a huge developer, the township and the, the church in this, in this multi-party contract negotiation that was just insane. And here, mm. I would just say this, everything about this from that time forward for 10 years was hard. Mm. Um, but one of the things I learned is that I, I, I surrounded myself with all kinds of people and invested mm -hmm. in relationships mm -hmm. that helped sustain us through that time and get us where we needed to go. Okay, can we let's pull apart the what was it that gave you the faith in the midst of that? Like what was it about and this, you know, is is obviously more art than science. It's you know, gets back to our relationships with, you know, with Jesus, but what was it that gave you the faith in the midst of this to say, no, no, we're going to push forward? Because you know why? Because I've heard this story multiple times from church leaders where a lead pastor, a founding pastor like you, you know, Stephen Furtick tells the same thing. They drove by this building for years and he kept pointing at it saying, the Lord's going to give us that building someday. And people looked at him like, you're crazy. Like that's never going to happen. And it, you know, ended up happening. T talk to us about what was it in your spirit that led you to the place that like, okay, I've got this conviction. Well, there's a faith thing, right? I mm -hmm. knew in my heart when I read that newspaper article that this was our property. Hmm. And I started 
praying towards that. I started gathering people around me who would believe with me for that. And then I started taking action toward that in every way that I knew how. Mm-hmm. And for me, the first thing was getting the political leadership in town to right. support us. And mm-hmm. as you well know, Rich, this is an area, listen, West Orange, now we're part of the metropolitan area and connected to all these other communities around us, as you know, but mm-hmm. West Orange only has three, for lack of a better word, and I don't necessarily like this word anymore, evangelical churches, and no mm-hmm. one alive had ever seen a church grow in this town until ours. Right, right. right. So they had no slot for us. Mm-hmm. The, the township at that time was 30% Jewish, I suppose still is, and probably mm-hmm. 60% Catholic, and then a whole mm-hmm. lot of nuns. Mm-hmm. And um, so from even in the first building that we developed when we came, I, I used that as an opportunity to get to know all the power brokers, all the political mm-hmm. leaders, to develop mm-hmm. relationships, develop friendships. And um, when it's all said and done, they said that the only reason that they approved this was because they wanted our church to stay in town. Yeah. Now there's a, there's a lot more behind that. We'd been ser- serving the community for years. I mean, we'd already mm-hmm. been in the community for 17 years. Right. So we'd been serving the community for years in all kinds of ways, but also building relationships that were very important to our success. Yeah. Talk to me about the building relationship piece with, because it can feel very intimidating. We're out of our depths. Even, you know, this isn't even, this is not state government. This is still our local or county officials. But as a, you know, a pastor, I might feel nervous around that. How, how do I, what, or what were some of the things that you've done over the years to try to build relationships with the power broker to the point where they would say, Hey, uh, you know, Terry's a good guy. I've, again, I've seen that dynamic as well. It's like, it, you know, it's like, it comes down to, they're staring at individuals and saying, do we trust that organization? Do we trust those people that, that, that group, do we think that they're, you know, we can kind of give them the green light, but what have you done to kind of develop those relationships? You go back, let's say 26 years when we were trying to get zoning board approval for our first building, which was an old bowling alley here in town. Mm -hmm. And so they had to change zoning for it. They didn't know us. They didn't trust us. Uh, We're an incredibly diverse church, which frightened some people. There were some very explicit things said about that piece. Hmm. And um, it looked like it wasn't going to happen. And I just decided I couldn't speak to the zoning board members because it was illegal, but I was able to speak to the politicians who appointed them. Everyone in the town council had an appointment. And so Mm -hmm. I just started setting up meetings with each member of the town council, and I would just sit down with them and introduce myself, tell my story to them, talk to them about our church, ask them what we could do for them. Uh, And I built relationships. Now, the interesting thing is from those initial power brokers 26 years ago, two of those people have become mayor and Mm, uh, that needing to set up that relationship with them then got them in my cell phone. I don't think we actually were using cell phones like that then, but uh, not (laughs) soon soon thereafter got them in my cell phone to where I can pick the phone up. Right. You know, one of them now is the deputy majority leader in the state house. Mm -hmm. I can pick Mm -hmm. up the phone right now and he, he will answer my call and say, uh, he, last time I saw him, he said, Terry, I want you to know I love you. <laughs> oh, sweet. Um, but so it started sweet. It started in, in, 26 years ago when we were a small congregation, and I just decided I was going to get to know all of the politicians. And all politics mm-hmm. are local, right? 
I've been mm-hmm. blessed to have a great relationship with the governor. I have a great relationship with one of our U.S. senators right now. They mm-hmm. can't help in this situation. It's right, that right. local leader. Um, yeah, that's great. So uh, one of the things I, I maybe speak to the leader who's listening in today, who is maybe has like an adversarial mindset towards their political leaders. They they look at the people in town with like great suspicion uh, and and they might be listening in and being, you know, I'll play the devil's advocate here, although you don't ever want to play the devil's advocate is, uh, you know, oh, you're just like, you know, you're cozying up to people that you shouldn't be cozying up to help me get my mindset in the right place around that. How, how why should we be developing these relationships and how, how does this fit into what we what we're called to do as a church? Well, I'm thinking about um, I'm thinking about some of the Old Testament prophets who mm-hmm. e- even even uh, those who were in in exile, uh, mm-hmm. even someone like Daniel. I mean, mm-hmm. in in order to speak truth to power, you you needed to know and be trusted by the power. Right. And um, yeah, I, the the fact is that probably no one in an elected position in my town has political views that I agree with around a lot of things, but I always have looked to find something in common. I mentioned a minute ago, uh, I mentioned a minute ago, a minute ago, the uh, Jewish uh, Mm -hmm. longtime township attorney. He's been township attorney now for probably 25 years. He is probably, frankly, if he's listening to this, he'll laugh, but you you (laughs) would agree this is true. The single most powerful person in town. Because right. he's now served a succession of mayors and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what I found out about Richard mm-hmm. uh, is he loves to take care of the poor. Mm-hmm. And we found common ground around that where when he was doing something to take care of the poor or starting an mm-hmm. anti-drug initiative, which was a big deal, mm-hmm. I was one of the first people he would reach out to. I still mm-hmm. am one of the first people that he will reach out to. I have this mm-hmm. idea about how we're going to get groceries. This was one project. We're going to get mm-hmm. a sack of groceries at, at the home of every person at a certain income level in town. Wow. I, I need you on board, Terry, and I need your church behind this. Help mm-hmm. me do this. He's asked me to come and speak to the township council at times around some mm-hmm. initiatives around how to serve people in need. So mm-hmm. I, I, there, you can always find something in common. Yes. And find a way to serve people. Yeah. That's so key. You know, this idea of, hey, let's get on the same table or the same side of the table, which is, hey, we both want our city to thrive. We both are, we want the great things to happen here. We can agree on that, even if we don't see eye to eye politically. And even if we don't, you know, you know, we don't have a lot of else in common. We both happen to be in the same town. What can we do to, you know, to get on the same page? Now, interestingly, you know, it's like the old saying about an oak tree. When's the best time to plant an oak tree 50 years ago? Uh, you know, same thing on this. When's the best time to start the relationship building friends? Isn't when you need to go to get a zoning bylaw change. It's, you know, it's, you've been, you're building up to that, which obviously you did over years. Let's flip internal inside the church. So what were the leadership dynamics for people not to look at you and say, Terry, you're crazy. Like, I, there's no way this is a, like, in, like you said, even in, in the book, like, it's like, this is an open, this is a field with like trees and stuff. It's kind of junky and it's on a huge road. We could never afford that. How did you work, work that through internally? Talk to see what that looked like. Well, I've never been the kind of leader who walks off the, in, the mountain, making a great pronouncement that God told me to do this or right. that. Right. Right. Now I find a way 
to say that without saying it that way, but which also truly gives people the opportunity to offer feedback, critique. And in my mm. case, my board and elders have the power to say no. If, mm. if they, I have a, a strong board and elders, I actually set mm. it up that way. And I'll say something else, Rich, that's just amazing. This is a God thing. In 31 years, even though it's a rotating group, we've never had a vote that wasn't unanimous. Wow. Wow. There is a, I write about that at some length in my book, The Hospitable Leader. Mm -hmm. There is a dynamic to what I call pre-inspiration, which is the work mm -hmm. that you have to do before you make an announcement to get a mm -hmm. bunch of people feeling like it was their idea. Yes. And yes. so with my board and elders, it, you know, just started with you know, sharing my heart, talking about mm -hmm. the opportunity. But the bottom line, I spent a good bit of time not assuming their buy-in, but getting their buy-in and knowing, mm -hmm. and they knew they had the power to stop it if they wanted. And furthermore, if they would have decided to stop it, I would have mm -hmm. considered that in our church structure, and according to what I understand about the New Testament, as a word from God that maybe mm -hmm. uh, I'd had... You need to slow down I'd or something. Too much, yeah, I need yeah. to slow down. Uh, mm. like one great pastor said, you always need to keep your reverse gear in good working order. So, um, <laughs> That's great. so first of all, I had to get my board and elders so that when mm -hmm. we presented this, when we presented this to the congregation, that mm -hmm. it wasn't me making the presentation, it was us making the presentation. Right. The recommendation right. after studying this, the recommendation of our board of elders is, mm -hmm. uh, now I would also say that, um, in our congregation, the board and elders voting yes is all that we legally need. Mm. But I still took a secret ballot vote from our congregation, which was, mm. by the way, unanimous to move forward. Mm -hmm. Because if they weren't with me, if they weren't saying yes, how in the world am I moving forward? Even mm. if, if there's no way. Mm -hmm. So, so it's kind of layering it. It's first of all, I, I need the permission of these people that I'm accountable to. So I've got mm -hmm. to cast vision and help them see uh, the possibility of getting from here to there to this impossible thing. And then we're going to go together to the congregation at large. And mm -hmm. even though we don't have to ask them, you know, Francis Hesselbein says, uh, leaders of the past tell, leaders of the future ask. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go to my congregation even though I have even the legal authority with the, with the blessing of the board to tell mm -hmm. them we're going to do this, I'm not going to go tell them we're going to do this. I'm going to go ask them right. if they'd like to do this with us. And well, yeah, and that's like ultimately, and we'll get to this. Ultimately, you're you're going to ask them to fund it, and so particularly in this case, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, any tactical sense to be like, okay, people are against this thing because like, you're not going to get very far down this runway. You might be able to write a check that you're not going to be able to cash. So uh, I love that. When you think about uh, your board, so I appreciate you talking. That's a great, you know, great soundbite around, hey, you know, 26 years or however many years with, uh, you know, unanimous. Talk us through that a little bit. Uh, even, you know, that idea of, and I had a, a leader early in my life talk about, you know, if you ever have to get to taking votes, uh, don't take the vote until you know what the votes are going to be. Um, you know, you, you, and so help us understand what that kind of, practically looks like for you. Cause I, I do think that's regardless of whether you have a track record as a, a church 
of or or you have the, the same view, which I would echo. If you have somebody on your board who's saying, no, no, we should not be doing this, you definitely want to slow down. Um, but how do you actually kind of functionally do that? How are you kind of vetting ideas, whether it was this or other things, just as you work through with that body? So first of all, as I mentioned, our board rotates. Now our elders uh, are, are uh, they, they don't, but our board, our mm-hmm. business board rotates three years at a time. And as you know, in the New York City metropolitan area, a church like ours tends to have some really powerful people on their board, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, managing partners of wall street firms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I haven't had the same group. I, I've had a different group and it's a very diverse group. So mm-hmm. I'm just very careful about sitting down with them and, and, uh, just sharing my heart and casting mm. vision, but casting vision in a way where I'm not putting my finger on the scale. I make mm. it very clear that ultimately I am willingly submitting to them and that mm. if I don't have their blessing, that I don't want to move forward. Now, I've had a time or two where I've presented something and their consensus didn't build around it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And things I felt strongly about. And mm-hmm. I just decided to pull back and come back at it again at mm-hmm. a time that might seem more appropriate. But mm-hmm. that presenting one's heart to the, the, the people who, who wield authority is, 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 an, is an art more than anything. But I do mm-hmm. think there's a certain science to it, which part of it is don't act like you're 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 giving someone the ability to say no to you if in oh, fact true. you're not willing to receive their no people right. know if you're mm-hmm. basically manipulating them mm-hmm. into doing what you think ought to be done you've got to convince them mm-hmm. that this is the right thing and that they really are partnering with you in it yeah, love it. And that, you know, really driving to that idea of ultimately we're trying when we, we're leading in any up situation, whether it's a board or whether it's your supervisor or, you know, that sort of thing. The goal is to get people to the thought to the place where they're like, it's their idea. They're like, wow, this is I think this is such, and they get excited about it. That's really the goal that it's for them to come away as the hero, not not for you. Well, let's uh, and there's and there's a ton we could talk about here. This is so great. But let's talk about when you pivoted then to the kind of broader congregation. So we're kind of following the story along. You've been working with some of the town folks, and then it's, you know, we're we're starting to work it internally. What happened when it, when you started to say, okay, we got to actually start to talk to our people, even beyond the vote or before the vote, all of that stuff. Um, talk that through. What did that look like? Well, to get the, the blessing of the congregation, obviously there's a lot of work done around that. You know, all the right. things any good leader is going to do, town hall meetings, giving people opportunity. Always, you don't ask questions until you've cast vision. So you're mm-hmm. creating a positive environment for which, mm-hmm. uh, in which people can ask questions. But mm-hmm. so I got their buy-in, their unanimous secret ballot vote. But the real challenge, Rich, is how do you keep mm-hmm. a momentum going for 10 years mm, yes. through multiple capital campaigns. Yes. That's the question. When yep. a lot of those people who initially said yes have moved to North Carolina, which is what's happening here in New Jersey. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and yes. and uh, that's the real challenge is how do you keep them in the game during a very slow uh, 
slog for us. Mm-hmm. We, we had a project that was much bigger than the capacity of our church at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, th- that's the challenge. And I think that's yes. just a matter of you just, you have a strategy for mm-hmm. us. We, we, we had a, a public document that we constantly mm-hmm. referred to called 12 steps to 747. 747 okay. is the, is the name of our property yeah. uh, is the, is the address of our property. And I would get up with regularity and I would, anytime we could check off one of those steps, which there were mm. some long periods of time when we couldn't, we would yep. celebrate checking off that step. That's um, great. Great idea. We got, we got zoning board approval. We're having a mm-hmm. celebration. We're still at that time, seven or eight years away. We got, mm-hmm. uh, we got the loan from the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, we, um, uh, the foundation is finished. I don't remember what the 12 steps were, but yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. for almost 10 years, we tracked, well, that probably was an eight year period. We tracked mm-hmm. those 12 steps and we celebrated every step of progress and just kept the people informed and tried to have some fun around it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people are praying about it and people are giving to it. People are celebrating and our church did a great job staying in the game that whole time. Yeah, I love that. That what a great tactic. You know, the it's a part of our job as leaders is to define reality and even providing a framework. You know, thinking through. We went through this in in our organization through COVID early on. I just defined. I, I heard a I heard a guy at Delta Airlines define. Hey, this is the kind of three phases that they were going to go through respond to COVID. And, uh, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's kind of has an interesting kind of resonance. I think there's some, some similarity there. And we just kept talking right from the beginning. These are the three phases to our response to COVID. And, you know, and, and I didn't know when we would go from one phase to the next to the next, uh, but doing that, having a framework uh, it is comforting to people, right? They're like, okay, they see, we see we're taking steps here. And the last step, we're not off. We're on this, you know, relaunch step. And we've said it might take us years. We may, who knows what that will look like. Uh, but defining that, that's a, that's really clever. I love that. That's that's fantastic. Now, you know, I a couple of years, so it's more than a couple of years, probably five, six years ago now, seven years ago, I actually visited your, your property. It's fantastic property. It's a beautiful facility. You've done an amazing job. And you've opened it up in phases, like the building itself was opened in phases. It wasn't like, a, hey, all however many square foot, bam, was done day one. But you, you know, you kind of got a bunch of it open and then have had to kind of go through and, and open pieces of it. How did you keep people engaged through that and not have them feel discouraged? But have because my impression was your people were excited by like, OK, this is, you know, one day we're going to have stuff in here. It's not there yet, but one day we'll get there. What did you do to kind of keep people engaged even through that phase? So it's a three-story building, 53,000 square foot building, which to someone in Texas doesn't sound like much, but 12 12 (laughs) miles from Times Square, it's pretty amazing. And so we built the the entire exterior. We Mm -hmm. built the entire building, but we initially only moved into the first floor to what is now our conference center. At Mm -hmm. maximum, it could seat 400. So we were Mm -hmm. having multiple services there. Mm -hmm. And... um, I think probably the biggest thing at that point is when we moved in, we quit pushing for a while for the next phase. We, mm. we, we tried to be content for a season in mm. having made oh, that good. major move. We mm-hmm. celebrated that. We invested in that. We brought in the top audio, visual, et cetera, et cetera, mm. people to make that as great of an experience as it could be. Now there were limitations. Mm-hmm. I think the ceiling in that room is 11 feet, for instance, it wasn't mm-hmm. 
what we were aiming for. But we mm-hmm. celebrated it and we kind of lived in that. I think we were in that phase for probably, I don't know, two or th- maybe three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just, we gave it a breath. We gave right. the people That's a good. break. Right. And we enjoyed what we had and the stage we were in. Mm-hmm. And then when we kind of recovered a little bit, we went after it again for the next phase, which was our auditorium on the second floor, which is a, you know, a real auditorium. Yeah. Yeah. love it. Yeah. And again, friends, uh, you should get a chance to visit. It's a fantastic facility. Interesting to kind of see that, you know, from the story, you know, from the, the back end. I wonder, so now kind of just following the story through, what about external leaders? Are there other kind of people that we should be thinking about in a project like this that, you know, maybe doesn't come to mind. It's not like top of mind, you think for, for some church leaders and, or there's, there's something there that we should be thinking about that are maybe, you know, external outside of political leaders. Yeah. I I think I'd say there are two groups that, that I Mm -hmm. pay attention to. I pay attention to the business leaders in town. Okay. And I pay attention probably not as much as I should, but I do pay attention to the other religious leaders in town. Okay. Uh, so as it concerns business leaders, it's, it's an amazing thing when, um, let's, let's say, for instance, in our mm-hmm. first go around at acquiring a, a, a property, when, when there were, we weren't known in the community and there was a lot of resistance, I had developed a relationship because I was a part of Rotary Club at that time with right. the business right. community. One of the right. most important things I did, by the way, Rich, when I came to this community is I found the service club that mm-hmm. where the politicians and the business leaders hung out and mm-hmm. I got someone to sponsor me in. And I, mm-hmm. frankly, I hated the meetings. I was in it for about <laughs> 10 years, but I built relationships that became very important yeah. to us. And yeah. one of those was with a, a very prominent business leader who got up in front of the zoning board, who was concerned about us taking that property off the tax rolls. And he said, mm-hmm. he said, uh, my family is perhaps the largest taxpayer in the history of this town. And for us to remove (laughs) that property for this church to be there is not a big deal for this community. Or just in recent weeks, I've had uh, the director of um, economic development here in West Orange, who serves as a volunteer. He's a former state treasurer of the state of Maryland, and he lives in my neighborhood and I've built a relationship with him. He came Mm -hmm. to me and our executive director of business and finance about Mm -hmm. the fact that they're creating an economic zone on Main Street here in, in West mm-hmm. Orange. And he, he has an economic opportunity for us in the area of community development. Wow. He sought us out. And it's right. just all through the, 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 the business of building relationships with business leaders in town. Yeah, love it. And that's a great, to underline the, the rotary hack, that's a great path uh, to those kinds of relationships. If, you know, your town probably has a rotary club in it and uh, oftentimes they will, uh, they'll allow or have, it's supposed to be, or it's designed for people who are own businesses in, in the community, but oftentimes they'll allow pastors in or, a, or some pastors in because you're seen as like, okay, you don't actually own the church, but you're leading the whole thing. And it is a great way to build um, relationships in town if you can. And it, and it gives you a sense of what's actually happening in town. Love yeah. that. And, and every every town, in some towns, Rotary Club's a thing. In other towns, it's Lions Club or it's Kiwanis. Yes. Yes. But finding that, especially when you're new in town mm-hmm. and you're posturing yourself to serve the community, right. it's pretty powerful. Yeah, love it. That's so good. And 
And friends, again, you know, these, this is a part of us trying to get on the same page with our community and saying, Hey, if it's the, you know, a tide rises, all boats, a rising tide rises, all boats, right? Hey, if we can work together for our town to be a better place, our city to be a better place, it's good for all of us. It's good. It's not only good for your church, but it's good, you know, for everybody in, in the community. This has been, uh, this has been amazing, Terry. There's a ton we could talk about here, friends. I want to remind you that we uh, had this whole conversation off of a page or maybe a page and a half from Terry's book. Uh, And there's a lot more we could talk about. Um, but I wanted to come back to to this book. So uh, this is uh, again the book is called "The Lord Bless You: A Twenty Eight uh, Day A Twenty Eight Day Journey to Experience God's Extravagant Blessings." You, you know, you're a multiple time uh, published author. What led you to ri- write this book? What was it about this topic that you said, "Hey, now's the time for us to lean in on this"? Well, this isn't how I say it to a non pastor audience, but knowing sure. how many leaders are reaching out, <laughs> I got yes. fascinated with the theology of blessing in Scripture. The very okay. first interaction, the very first interaction between God and humanity, Genesis one twenty eight. it says God blessed them, hmm. Hmm. which Powerful. tells us the heart of God. And yep. there are a number of theologians who believe that getting us back to the blessing God intended for us in the beginning is the whole theme of history. And, hmm. you know, some 500 times in scripture, the, the concept of blessing is discussed and it's huge. Jesus is bringing us back into the blessing that Adam lost. And um, so it really, but it's not written as a theological book, but um, I was on a, on a theology podcast uh, recently mm-hmm. and, and they called it a theology of blessing. So it's mm-hmm. written in 28 brief inspirational chapters, but it really is kind of sneaky theological. And mm-hmm. um, uh, so I'm, I'm super excited about it. And one of the things I'm excited about, Rich, is that mm-hmm. we've built a sermon series around this Love that it. a number of churches have already done just as a test case. We had about 25 churches do it in January of 2023, mm-hmm. and uh, we're making that available for free. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's an immersive experience in what it means uh, to live in God's blessing in a biblically balanced way. So the series is called The Lord Bless You, 28 Days of Blessing. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Of course, we hope that when people go through this, that part of what they'll do is recommend the book to their people as for 28 days of devotions that go along with their sermons on the weekend. Love it. So we're going to we're going to put a link to that resource because I'm so glad that you've you're providing that because one of the things when I literally, when, you know, Terry's a friend, so he sent me a copy of this book. I literally, when I opened it, I was like, this would be a killer tool for an entire church to go through. This would be a great, um, my immediately I was like, this is a great gift book for me as a pastor to give to people. Um, but then I also was like, Ooh, this could be a great series. And the fact that you're doing this, man, I just think that's so great. So we'll put a link in the show notes towards that. And you know, friends, other people come on and try to sell books, but Terry's not trying to sell a book. He's going to give you the uh, initial chapter. He's going to give you uh, a PDF here. Tell us about this thing. Again, you just can click on the show notes. It's there. Uh, What are you giving away here to people? We'd love for people to download for free the introduction in chapter one to get a taste of the Lord bless you. So good. Love it. This is great. Again, friends, everybody else comes on a podcast and wants you to buy a book. He's saying, hey, here's the introduction. Here's the first chapter. Take it for free. 
uh, click the link in the show notes. You can just scroll on your phone there and actually get that now. Uh, I would love for you to do that. And I think you'll be really blessed by it. Not to be, uh, you know, not to be too tongue in cheek, but I, I really am excited by that. People can also find stuff at terriasmith.com, by the way. Perfect. Okay, great. Good. So you can get in the show notes or Terry A. Smith. I really, really appreciate that. Terry, anything else you'd like to say just before we wrap up today's episode? Uh, I really appreciate you being on today. Always great to connect a little bit. Uh, love to hear what uh, what God's up to at your church. But anything else you'd like to say just as we wrap up? Just thanks, Rich. Thank you so much. And uh, God bless you. Thank you so much, brother. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.